0: This is Steven Pressfield, author of Put Your Ass Where Your Heart Wants To Be, and you are listening to the 400th episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the
1: smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which has been named as one of the top marketing podcasts by forbes and linkedin amongst others don't worry about taking notes you can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com and since i get to read every book featured on the show if i can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource i know of for whatever challenge you're facing send me a linkedin connection invite with a message that you're a listener and i will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction my name again is douglas Burdett. this episode is sponsored by by marketing architects, creators of the all-inclusive TV advertising concept that's so revolutionary, they wrote a book about it. I'll tell you more and how to get a free copy of the book in a few minutes. Now, let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome Stephen Pressfield to talk about his book, Put Your Ass Where Your Heart Wants To Be, published by Sarsaparilla Media. Stephen Pressfield is the author of The War of Art, which has sold over a million copies globally and has been translated into multiple languages. He is a master of historical fiction with Gates of Fire being on the required reading list at West Point and the recommended reading list of the Joint Chiefs. His other books include A Man at Arms, Turning Pro, Do the Work, The Artist's Journey, Tides of War, The Legend of Bagger Vance, Last of the Amazons, Virtues of War, The Afghan Campaign, Killing Rommel, The Profession, The Lion's Gate, the warrior ethos, the authentic swing, an American Jew. Nobody wants to read your shit and the knowledge. He is a graduate of Duke university, go blue devils, and is a veteran of the United States Marine Corps. You gotta be shitting me, Joker. And interesting facts. He (laughs) wrote for 27 years before he got his first novel published, The Legend of Bagger Vance. During that time, he worked 21 different jobs in 11 states. The jobs included advertising copywriter, school teacher, tractor-trailer driver, bartender, oil field roustabout, attendant in a mental hospital, fruit-picking migrant worker, and Hollywood screenwriter. Stephen... Congratulations on Put Your Ass Where Your Heart Wants To Be, and welcome to the 400th episode of the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Wow, it's my honor, Douglas, to be uh, on the number 400. Great. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Very excited to be able
1: to interview you for this uh, milestone episode. I've interviewed over 300 authors, and you're only the second Marine I've interviewed. So, you know, really?
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow! Yes, I was going to say maybe they didn't want to tell you, but
1: uh... <laughs> no, no, no. They're uh, like all uh, you know. It's very interesting. Author, former FBI agent, uh, wrote a book about sizing people up from his life, uh, having dealt with uh, Soviet spies. So, like all Marines, I know they have have a very colorful <laughs> life, and they all have a certain uh, intensity. So, Duke University. My mother is a graduate of Duke. She graduated wow. before you did. She graduated in 1944. Wow. And then my one of my brothers went there, so naturally he was her favorite child. <laughs> and then both our fathers were World War II veterans. But most importantly, uh, I wanted to talk about this guy, Ed Hannibal. And ah. years ago, I heard you on a podcast. I've been stalking you for ages. And you mentioned this guy named Ed Hannibal you'd worked with. And I thought, wow, I... I worked with an Ed Hannibal, but now it can't be the same guy. So just a few weeks ago, I'm listening to you again on an uh, interview on a podcast I like called The School of War about military history. Uh And once again, you mentioned Ed Hannibal. So at that point, I had to stop what I was doing. I looked it up, and I did not know so much about it. It's the same Ed Hannibal, and sadly, I saw that he'd he'd passed away a few years ago. And I I didn't know that he'd been in the Army, and he served in Germany, and he'd written all these books. And I just immediately thought, you know, youth is wasted on the young. How did I not know about Ed? We worked closely together. We traveled together. Tell us about your connection with Ed and the impact he had on your life.
0: Uh, Ed was my boss at uh, BB... I guess Benton and Bowles, Benton and Bowles in New York in like uh, 1963 or something like that. And it was my first uh, writing job. I was like, you know, the most junior copywriter. I think I made like $105 a week. And Ed was the creative director of the group that I was in. And he had a tremendous effect on me. Um, Aside from being an amazing talent, uh, you know, and and a guy that you really looked up to, he, while he was working there, he wrote a book called uh chocolate days popsicle weeks and it was a hit it was like an overnight hit and he quit you know to be a full-time writer and uh so i thought well shit i'll do the same thing yeah so i quit and only 30 years later (laughs) you know no seriously right then my life went right down the tubes immediately after that Mm. and um in a, in a good way, I suppose, in the end. But Ed really was, uh, you know, trying to copy him was um, what uh, started my my downfall and then my eventual, you know, coming up a little bit.
1: Well, I think of it not as a downfall, but as the hero's journey. Yeah, I, I guess I do too, actually. So <laughs> There we go. And That's, I was uh, excited to see in this book that you quote some – Past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast I've had the honor of interviewing, uh, Ryan Holiday and and Seth Godin. Ah, great.
0: Yeah, they're both great.
1: Very popular guests, very popular books. I wanted to read a section from the intro and then uh, start to ask you a few questions. You write, who is this book for? What sort of person is a book called Put Your Ass Where Your Heart Wants To Be For? It's for writers and artists and actors and Instagram chefs and podcasters and filmmakers and choreographers and video game creators and every kind of entrepreneur, whether your game is startups or nonprofits or your new Thai fusion restaurant. In other words, it's for everyone who is on their own in business or the arts, and for everyone who wants to be on their own, who dreams of being on their own. We all know how hard it is to write a book, make a movie, or create a new business. Powerful forces line up against us, obstacles to entry, rivals, competitors, finances, funding, the difficulty of the craft itself. But the most formidable antagonist of all resides inside each of our own skulls. Stephen Pressfield, what is it?
0: Well, it's in my book, uh, The War of Art, I call it resistance with a capital R. And it's that negative force of self-sabotage that works against all of us that ex- that shows itself as procrastination self-doubt fear arrogance complacency perfectionism all of the uh, you know um, susceptibility to distraction all of those things that will stop us from fulfilling our dream and that reside entirely in our own head they're nothing external that's working against us they're entirely internal. So that's really what this book is for. Um, it's it's to address those internal enemies that we all have to deal with when we're on our own as a, an artist or an entrepreneur or writer, whatever.
1: Just to continue, one other part from that section. The title of this book, as we said, is Put Your Ass Where Your Heart Wants To Be. That, in nine words, is my answer. It's the simplest and most direct way to get up in the morning and do our work, And to lie down at night feeling at peace with ourselves, knowing for this one day, at least we have defeated our demons and moved 24 hours closer to living the true self and best self we were born to be. Put your ass where your heart wants to be may sound glib and superficial at first, but believe me, its implications are profound and its applications universal. We'll start in this book with the purely physical interpretation ass, meaning body, our flesh and blood presence. But as the chapters unfold, we'll take the subject deeper and deeper into the psychological, the emotional, the metaphorical, and even the spiritual dimensions of this principle. Let's begin. Now, before we go, Stephen, there's an elephant in the room that we have to address. And let me explain. A credo is a statement of the beliefs or aims which guide someone's actions. And it comes from the Latin word meaning, I believe. So, my credo is that you're only young once, but you can be immature forever.
0: What have we got here, fucking comedian?
1: Therefore, whenever the word ass is mentioned in this interview, henceforth, I want everyone to think of the following sound effect. <laughs> so, Stephen, when you talk about ass, you're not referring to donkeys. Let's am no, what, what do you mean by ass? Because you do actually have a section in the front of the book explaining what, really, what you mean? As I touched on just now.
0: Well, there, there certainly are multiple levels, and uh, but the, I'll start with the first one. Sometimes people will say to me, "You know, I want to write. I want. You know, how do I do that? What do I? Where do I go? How do I start?" And my, my answer to them is: sit in a chair, in front of a keyboard, and start writing. You know, don't take a class. Don't read a book. Don't do anything. Put your ass in the spot where your where your dreams can come true. And the same thing, in other words, ass equaling your physical body. Same thing. If you want to be a dancer, get into the studio. If you want to shoot a movie, get in, get behind the camera. If you want to uh, paint, get in front of an easel. There's a magic to putting your body, putting your ass, your physical presence in the spot where things can, can where your dreams can come true. So that's the first level. Okay, but if the that. process is as straightforward as you've described it, what's, what's the big hang up? Well, the big hang up is that it's, I'd say this in the war of art, that there's a secret that real writers know that wannabe writers don't know. And the secret is that it's not the writing that's hard. It's the sitting down to write, (laughs) which is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. And so the the reason it's difficult is to 100 people, put your ass where your heart wants to be. 99 of them will not do it. So... That's, the, the, that's the, the reason why it's hard to do, because, again, it's that force of resistance that stops us, that makes us procrastinate, makes us put off, makes us come up with excuses why today is not the day we're supposed to do it. Right. And uh, I think fear would be a big part of that. Yes. I mean, fear is everything. That's, uh, the whole thing is the reason why I say put your ass where your heart wants to be is it's such a, it's a, such a simple answer to fear. You know, if we're afraid, like, uh, just as a bad example, um, for years and years, I I wanted to be, I wanted to go to the gym. I wanted to be a gym person. You know, I wanted to work out, et cetera, et cetera. But I was afraid to, and I just, you know, each time I would like go to sign up or something like that, I'd go to a gym and there'd be like these muscle men and these, you know, women that could kick my ass, you know, and I thought, and I would always chicken out. So the answer was when one day I just finally just did it. You know, I did actually put my ass into the gym and signed up and went there. And once you've done that, then, you know, everything is, I won't say easy, but at least you've you've broken the ice.
1: Well, let's talk about location. I know at one point in, in our lives, you know, we wanted to work in advertising. So we went off to New York City, which at the time was the really the epicenter of, of advertising. Talk about the importance of the, the concept uh, that you talk about in the beginning of the book as it relates to basically moving your ass where your heart wants to be, the, the, the actual location.
0: That's uh that's kind of a second version of the physical definition of ass, meaning your physical body. And that is, you know, just what you said, Douglas, it's like Hemingway moved to Paris, mm-hmm. right? Um, Bob Dylan went to Greenwich village there in certain, if you want to dance, You got to move to New York. You know, you can get a good, there are ballet classes. You know, let's say you want to be a ballet dancer. There are ballet classes all over the country. But New York is the place that has, you know, ABT, the Joffrey Ballet, the Met, everything like that. That's the place, right? If you want to be in country music, you you got to go to Nashville. Now, that's not, of course, true across the board for everybody. But there are certain places where you got to move your ass, you know, pack up your stuff, your dog, your spouse, everybody, and go to the place where your dreams can come true. For me, at one point, I wanted to be a screenwriter. And so what do you do? You have to go to Hollywood. You Mm -hmm. have to be there. and Because you can't be a screenwriter in Des Moines. I don't care what anybody says. So that's another application of put your ass where your heart wants to be. This seems to be uh, especially relevant in this Post
1: lockdown era, when so much uh, went remote, and there's a lot more uh, remote working, and I think that a lot of people are uh, thinking about that. So, uh, that was a uh, an interesting topic, and I certainly related to it from my past. Well, I would
0: say, you know, the online world is sort of a quasi exception to what I just said, Mm -hmm. because you can be, if you have a podcast, of course, you can do it from anywhere, right? As long as there's a you know, a Zoom link or whatever you've got. Um, So that's kind of an exception in which where you already are, if you have a studio, that is Paris. That is New York, you know? Mm -hmm. And I will also say uh, a writer is a kind of an exception to that thing. Unless you're Hemingway and you need to go to Paris. But like Stephen King never leaves Maine, or I guess he also in, in the winter he goes to Sarasota, Florida or something like that. But a guy like him carries like his own personal hotspot wherever he is, because he's so committed to, to what he's doing that wherever he is is Paris. But the point is, if your ass means you commitment, that you are that you are, even if it's only in your own mind, at the sort of the Paris or the New York or the Nashville of what your dream is.
1: So the First level of this is to be in the the physical dimension where it is appropriate. The second level is about the inner body, the metaphorical self. Can you talk about that?
0: Uh, Let me talk about um, the hero's journey for a second. Um, I think we all know what it is, but let me just give a quick sort of movie version of the hero's journey. Oh, please, please. The hero's journey. All right. The hero's journey is a uh, Joseph Campbell made it uh, popular and made it well known. And um, it's really sort of the ur story, the U-R story of the human race and of every individual in it. And any movie, any book, any legend, any myth is pretty much a version of the hero's journey. And the hero's journey in a nutshell starts off with the hero, let's say it's Luke Skywalker in the ordinary world. Like Luke was on the evaporator farm and the planet Tatooine, right? And then in the hero's journey, something happens, what they call the call or the call to adventure. And in Luke's case, it was he found R2-D2 in a scrap heap somewhere. And R2-D2 sent that little message, the hologram that said, showed Princess Leia saying, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope, right? That's the call to adventure. And when the hero answers that call, like Luke did when he went to find Obi-Wan Kenobi, everything changes in, in his world. And this moment of, when I say ass, I mean commitment, Mm -hmm. as in the sense of your ass is on the line or that sort of thing. So for each of us, a call will come. Let's say you want to be a podcaster, or you want to write a book, or you want to start a movie, or you want to do something like that. When you put your ass where your heart wants to be, you become Luke Skywalker when he goes with Obi-Wan Kenobi. You move from being a passive looker-on in your own life, a sort of a stuck person, you move to becoming the hero of your own life, to becoming an active, forward-looking, entering the unknown hero of your own life. And when that happens, you change. I'm convinced that your DNA changes in that moment. But a lot of other things happen too, which we'll talk about. The world sees you differently, you see yourself differently, and heaven sees you differently.
1: Yes, and you talk about the mountaineering term of exposure, where you really put your, your uh, neck on the line. Could you explain what that is? I, I, I was not aware of that one.
0: Yeah, this goes back to what we were talking a few minutes ago, Douglas, about fear, right? Mm-hmm. What what keeps somebody stuck in the ordinary world or stuck not answering the call? And it's fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fear of the unknown. It's fear of what could go wrong, et cetera, et cetera. Now, in mountaineering, there's a, there's a term, as you said, called exposure. And what exposure, you are exposed when there's an Empty drop underneath you when you're on the side of the mountain and there's nothing underneath you and you can fall fall, you know, to your death possibly. Mm -hmm. So the sort of odd fact about that is you could be 20 feet from the summit of Everest. But if there's a shelf, a rock shelf right under you, you're not exposed. But if you could be at sea level practicing on a on a little cliff there and if there's nothing underneath you and you're 20 feet up, you are exposed. So. It's natural that we all don't want to fall off the mountain. We don't want to be exposed, but the hero, if we're talking about the hero's journey, the person who commits to their dream, whatever it is, the minute you commit, you are exposed. And that's what that's gives you the power, but it also gives you the fear. It also gives you the downside of, uh, what could go wrong. You could fail. You could flame out. And, um, so that's the fear aspect of this that we all have to overcome one way or another. And
1: you talk about how we we move from the known to the unknown when we when we do this and talk about how that is designed to outfox
0: the fear of the unknown. Well that's, you know, the fear of the unknown is something, you know, since the our days in the cave, you know, <laughs> we were we were afraid of the dark and afraid of the unknown everybody is, right? But and the reason that I say that I that this phrase "put your ass where your heart wants to be" seems to work for me is it sort of it says to you, don't try to overcome fear, because you you know a lot of times people will say, "Well, let me first overcome my fear and then I'll do it," but you can never really overcome your fear, and certainly you can never overcome your fear of the unknown because it's it's in our blood. But the answer to that, or or this way, this kind of antidote in this phrase is. Don't worry about that you're afraid. Just put your ass there on the side of that mountain. You know, put your ass in front of that podcasting microphone. Put your ass in front of the keyboard of the typewriter. Mm-hmm. And that, and then plunge in and the fear will recede. The fear will go away at that point. But there's no substitute for actually walk, going into the fear, into the exposure, putting your ass into that place of risk and starting to act which I give Ed Hannibal tremendous credit for. He was a guy who had like seven kids or something like that, <laughs> right. right? He really did. Maybe even had more kids than that. And he had a great future as a, as a creative director or whatever in advertising. And in fact, he wound up doing that for years and years. Yeah. But he wrote the book and he got out there and he did it. God bless him, you know?
1: Yep. And uh, he came back to advertising, I guess, uh, a variety of times. Uh, and that's that's how I got to, to meet him. TV advertising is a powerful channel for business growth, and it's a counterintuitive solution for businesses frustrated by the rising costs of digital marketing. But the traditional process for launching TV campaigns is expensive, time-consuming, and complex. That's why Marketing architects flipped the traditional process on its head. With all-inclusive TV advertising, they invest their own money to produce, analyze, and optimize your TV campaign. All you pay for is media, setting you up for rapid growth at a significant cost advantage. This approach to TV is so revolutionary, they wrote a book about it. It's called all-inclusive TV, how booming brands are reimagining TV advertising. It explores how a variety of brands are using TV to transform their businesses and how you can do the same. For a free copy of the book, visit this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com or visit marketingarchitects.com slash book and tell them you heard about it on the Marketing Book Podcast. So you touched on this earlier. Talk about how the universe responds when we put our ass where our heart wants to be. I found that it's true, but I'm not sure a lot of people understand how uh, things start to happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this is, I mean, it sounds airy-fairy, you know, when you first think about it, but I certainly have found that it's absolutely true. And one of the things I, 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 um, see if I have it here. Maybe I can even find it. I probably can't, but uh, there's a wonderful book called the Scottish Himalayan Expedition. and it was it's about these guys from Scotland in the 50s, I think it was, but it's a metaphor for everybody else who's ever done this. And they wanted to go to India, you know, and they wanted to climb Katman or what K2 or Annapurna or whatever it was. And um, they didn't have any money, they didn't know what to do, but they started. They kind of put the word out, they booked passage to India and stuff like that. And the guy who wrote the book, W. H. Murray, says that as soon as they started to do that, as soon as they fully committed, he was amazed at how much help came in from unexpected sources, and not just spiritual help or anything like that, but financial help. People brought money to them. Serendipitous meetings where they would just, you know, people would come out of the woodwork that would show them this or help them that or give them that. And I certainly have found that absolutely true, that there seems to be a law of the universe that once you commit, once you become, once you become Luke Skywalker, on your way to uh, Moss Eisley Space Station or whatever it is, the universe does respond, and it brings in Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon and all of that other sort of stuff. And um, I can, t- I'll tell you a, a long story here to tell the story about Tom Ginsburg that I know you're, you uh, probably want to ask about. <laughs> sure, um, go ahead. But this is this is kind of a, a, a true life example of this. It a, takes a few minutes to tell. So if you're listening, be patient. <laughs> um, my second book was a book called Gates of Fire about the Battle of Thermopylae. And when I did the, uh, when I wrote the manuscript, it was 800 pages long. And I gave it to my agent and he said to me, Steve, I can't sell this. You know, this is just too long. You're going to have to cut 300 pages out of it. And I was Utterly daunted by that. It was my second book. I really didn't know anything about how to organize myself or anything. And I thought, I'm going to, you know, I was ready to give up. I thought, this is it. I've had it, you know. And then in the mail, out of nowhere, came a note, on a, hand- a handwritten note on a piece of stationery from a guy named Tom Ginsburg. And Tom Ginsburg at that time was the head of Viking Press, which was a very prestigious press in New York City. And, I, and he wrote me and he said, he had read the manuscript because he was friends with my agent. And he said, he wrote this beautiful note and it said, there's a great book in here, Steve, and I know you can bring it out. And I pinned that note, that meant the world to me. I pinned it to the screen of my computer. And it took me like six months to cut those 300 pages, but that note kept me going. So that note to me, the point of that thing to me is that, that was the universe responding. That was a guy who had no reason. Tom Ginsburg didn't know me from Adam, except that he'd read the book. He had no selfish reason for reaching out to me, but he did. And that meant everything to me. It was sort of like the Scottish Himalayan expedition where serendipitous things started to happen. So that meant the world that you never could have predicted, you know? And um, so the, the universe, whether it makes sense or not, does respond when we take that, that leap, you know, we decide we're going to open a restaurant, we decide we're going to build up, you know, uh, a neglected park in our. we're going to bring it back to life in our neighborhood, that kind of thing. Or write a book, make a movie. The universe does respond.
1: Yes, the universe responds. That was a great example. And I, I can remember when I started my business years ago, suddenly things started happening. And I can remember at the time, once I made the decision, uh, everything else was easier. <laughs> yeah, I, I got over that true. fear, and I said that's it. And I just went in and quit my job and said I, I just got to go. And everything else was easier for me, anyway.
0: Let me ask you a little bit about that, Douglas. What was the moment like for you when you when you quit your job and did this? What were you What were you thinking? What were your emotions at that time?
1: Well, I was afraid to take the jump. Wife, two small kids, uh-huh. and but I couldn't stand working at this agency, and I just. Uh, well, you'll appreciate this. So I decided to call the company artillery <laughs> because of my in my youth I was an artillery officer. Mm-hmm. But I said, "You know what? I'm going to go in on D-Day, June 6th." Ah. <laughs> I just had to pick a day.
0: Ah, that's and I, great.
1: I went in on that day and I said, "I got to go." And I made the decision and everything else started started to fall in place. And there were some ups and downs, obviously. But I just remember feeling so much better, so much more relieved. Yeah. So that's why your book really – both both of these books we're talking about really resonated with me. And it was uh, – I did this about a year before The War of Art came out.
0: Let me ask you, did you have a, a mentor of any kind when you were doing this? Any kind of Obi-Wan Kenobi type of figure?
1: I had a friend who worked at the agency that, you know, we were – similar uh, mind we'd both come from big Uh agencies but this but i i didn't really i don't i'm not
0: sure i i had one ah you know well let me comment on that just for a second here to hammer home a couple of points we were talking about if you think about what you did there in terms of the hero's journey you were in at the start you were in the ordinary world Mm -hmm. you were working for an agency you know doing the normal things right and you were basically stuck right and then the call came, right? The call to adventure, right? The call, it, it just popped into your mind or it had been building over time, right? Yes. And, it's, and you said, you know, I want to try this podcasting thing, right? And I, I love the the D-Day thing because sometimes a mentor is inside ourselves, right? It might be a dream. Right. You know, it might be something, but somehow you sort of said to yourself, you kind of related back to your artillery background <laughs> and you said, really, this is all true, right? Yeah. And this... That, that uh, you know, in in the hero, classic hero's journey, the mentor will give the hero a talisman of some kind, right? You know, a, a sword maybe or a, a magic amulet that you wear on chain around your neck. And what happened there, in my opinion, is you gave yourself that. With that, you gave it the amulet was I'm going in on D-Day, right? Because that's all the ship's. <laughs> Everybody's going in right there's no yeah. holding back mm-hmm. right and and you sort of blessed yourself in a way, so you were your own mentor with that, and I think that's that's great that's absolutely it's you're following the all the beats of the hero's journey, whether you realize it or not <laughs>
1: right that's why it's all all of this has always resonated with me so let's talk a little bit further though because a very important part is about the commitment over time, and you you talk about how Putting your ass where your heart wants to be. it's it's not a short haul principle. Talk no. about that. I think okay. a lot of people may think it's a one and done sort of thing,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, this is a that's a really important point that you brought up there. Like, um, I had my sort of d day moment in uh, in a sublet in New York City. The short version of it is simply that I decided that I was really gonna be a writer. I was gonna commit to it and I didn't care how long it took or whatever, you know. And that was kind of, that was my moment of commitment. That was my moment of putting my ass where my heart wants to be. But it took another 30 years almost before I achieved any success. So it's not, at least in my case, an instant thing at all. Mm -hmm. But like you say, once you make the decision, I never was in agony after that. Like I was in agony before that. Yes. You know, I knew that I was on the path, you know, maybe I'd never get there, but I, but I knew I was on the path. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, it's, it's as we were sort of peeling back the layers of the onion of put your ass where your heart wants to be. The one thing is you can't put your ass there just today. You have to put your ass there today, and tomorrow and next week next month and next year it's like a lifelong commitment once you do that and if you do that then you're on your then you're on the path but it's uh it is definitely i say can you put your ass where your heart wants to be for the long haul for the rest of your life because that's the question it won't n- magic is not going to happen day 1 or even year 1 mm-hmm. or even decade 1
1: yeah it's such a great filter for are you are you ready to do this uh it, gosh now you got me thinking about me with my story <laughs> I just remember I remember thinking back like uh, there's no turning back but I felt so much better and it's not like it was uh I was rolling in dough right away yeah, either yeah. so well I want to jump ahead to uh a question that you pose on page 58 that I think a lot of listeners may be Asking themselves, which is, can we put our ass
0: where our heart wants to be if we've got a family, a job, a mortgage? Uh, That is a great question. Now, when I started, and I'm sure this is true of Ed Hannibal, our former boss, too, he had a full time job. He had seven kids or whatever it was, you know, and he had a big responsible job. And um, I know that he somehow carved out, you know, an hour a day, time on the weekend. That sort of thing. The famous story about James Patterson, who uh, who has now sold like 30 billion cotton books or something <laughs> right. like that. I mean, he was the creative director of J. Walter Thompson, I think. And what he used to do is he would come in every morning to the office at like, you know, 530 or something like that, you know, two hours or whatever before anybody got there. And he'd lock the door and he would just work on his fiction. And when the time came when all everybody else came into the office, he'd open the door and he'd become, you know, Mr. Advertising Guy. Mm-hmm. But little by little, he did that. And abs- absolutely, it can be done. Like uh, if it's only an hour a day, I think I counted this up, an hour a day and some time on the weekends, in a year, that's nine 40-hour weeks. Yes. That's a lot of time. You know, Mm -hmm. you could do a lot of work in nine 40-hour weeks. So definitely, I also say that the muse does not count the hours that we're working, you know, at, at our dream. You know, what she counts is commitment. Are we really there with our whole heart and we're not just diddling around? And again, when we said before about put your ass today and tomorrow and the next day and for the long haul, the muse is looking down and asking, are we putting our ass there every day? Are we there, you know, five days a week, six days a week, whatever, over the course of the year? That's what she counts, not the not the length of time. So you can be 100 percent committed on one hour a day. So true about James
1: Patterson. I worked at J. Walter Thompson in New York ah, when you did. When he was the creative director. Oh really? Ah. Yeah. And we knew him as Jim, but It's absolutely true. He would work, uh, sometimes he would write at home for two hours, or he'd come in, but he would work for two hours, and then he would be at work long before nine o'clock. And then he would often shut, because my my cubicle, I was a a lowly assistant account executive, but it was right around the corner from his office for some Uh reason. And he would shut and lock his door at lunch Ah. and do writing. So he Ah. was able to, to do it even more then, but then he was... He was also the creative director and, you know, very successful. And quick story, I was in the training program there after I'd gotten out of the army and I was, I was going through their training program. And one day he came in to speak to the class. Ah. And cause he would have various executives come in and speak. And he's, he talked about creativity. But before he spoke, he says, I'm going to talk about, what, you know, what I do and what my area of expertise is, but I'm also going to tell you how to make a million dollars in advertising by the time you're 30.
0: That got everybody's attention. Yes. I'm sure.
1: So he he talked for a while about you know creativity and advertising all that sort of thing, and then he said okay, and then he started to walk off, and several of the my classmates said hey, whoa 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 what about that uh, million dollars? <laughs> and he said oh if you want to make a million dollars in advertising by the time you're thirty, write trashy novels on the side.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I thought you'd uh, you'd find that interesting. Yes. yes.
0: Let me jump in for one second, Douglas here, and just say. Let's try to imagine ourselves in your position then watching James Patterson close the door and lock his door, right? Mm -hmm. In the morning and and at lunchtime. You have to think about that guy, whether you know him or not, you have to say, this guy's onto something, you know? This guy, there's power in what he's doing. When he closes that door, shit is happening in there, you know? Good stuff, you know? And uh, so I encourage all of us to be the guy that locks the door, and and does that thing.
1: And you know he was already um a uh an award winner it's the I can't remember what it is it's the mystery writers award. Uh an Edgar? Uh, yes, an Edgar. Uh, an Edgar. Uh, yes, uh named after Edgar Allan Poe, I believe.
0: Ah. Oh yeah, I guess so. Yeah. That's
1: right. That's right. So uh but that didn't that wasn't the financial success but it was it was recognized um and then later on I was able to see that some of his co-authors were some of the copywriters I had worked with. Oh, really? Because yeah, uh-huh. sometimes he would write one with another uh-huh. another person. Yeah, so. yeah. Interesting. So you have a lucky toy cannon that is part of your space. I do. And, of course, having served in the artillery, I have lots of toy cannons. Uh-huh. Uh, but what, what does your toy cannon have to do with
0: the, the, the physical space that you're committed to? Uh, well, I feel like uh, my office is— a sacred space you know mm-hmm. just like uh, if you and i were studying martial arts or meditation or something like that and or let's say martial arts and we were studying and we go to the dojo right we've got on our gi and we you know when you get to the door where you take off your shoes right mm-hmm. and you bow to the space put your hands together and you bow to the sensei to the teacher right because it's a sacred space that you're entering or i'm sure even though i'm not a dancer i'm sure that when Ballet dancers or any kind of dancers enter that studio. It's the same, the same thing, right? This is a a space that's sacred. You know, we're here to work. We're not here to screw around, and we're here to give it our all. So, uh, so I I definitely feel like uh, that that's my office. And in that office, I'm going to give it my all. And I have a little. I'm a big. I'm superstitious, and so I have a little cannon here. I'm looking at it right now, and uh, I point it right at myself. And I tell it to fire inspiration into me. And uh, so we need all the help we can get, you know? Yes. So that's uh, that's part of um, my self-reinforcement as a writer. Let me ask a quick question from your Hollywood days. I want to talk about Sausage, <laughs> which uh-huh. really,
1: this resonated with me. You tell a story of working in a Hollywood production. I think it was a Steven Seagal movie, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Uh-huh. Yeah. And a studio executive <laughs> happened to be there and i think they were asking for a few extra filming days and he says no just think of this movie as a sausage it's just another link and you're grinding
0: it out (laughs) what did he mean by that uh well in that case i mean it was uh this was the second steven seagal movie i think and uh you know, it was a B movie on the, on the, this is Warner brothers. And it was not at the top of their list of, you know, the great movies that they were you know going to have, you know, and from the studio's point of view, it was a sausage, right? It's just another movie. You're grinding it out. Right. And, but I thought at the time sitting in this, in this, in the, in the meeting, I said, yeah, it is a sausage and yeah, we are grinding it out, but nobody can stop me from making this, the best sausage I can possibly make it. Mm-hmm. So that's a question of, again, putting your ass where your heart wants to be to the best of your ability. You don't want to sit down and just doodle around, right? And I'm, you know, any behind that door, James Patterson, for whatever you think of his material, I'm sure he was working as hard as he could. And so that's this another aspect of put your ass where your heart wants to be is put it at the highest level you can put it in even when the other even when you realize that that the venue that you're working in is not Michelangelo or something like that you can still do it to the best of your ability and you have to
1: Yes you're 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 paying your dues you're putting your time in Yes let's jump to uh, another person uh, that's of great interest to uh, you and uh, and many folks what can we learn from Alexander the Great, <laughs> ah. about about putting our ass
0: where our heart wants to be. I've, I've written a couple of books about Alexander the Great. Yeah, I heard. <laughs> in, uh, including one where I actually spoke in the, in the voice of Alexander the Great. So that was a really, really educational experience for me. Very daunting one. But, okay, for the true, back to what we were talking about. The Stoics... Uh, Stoic philosophy is, you know, kind of popular these days. And the, sort of the, the primary premise of Stoic philosophy, as I understand it, is that we human beings cannot control fortune. Fortune with a capital F, meaning chance, fate, luck, things that happen to us, right? And the Stoic philosophy sort of is um, those things that we can't control, don't drive yourself crazy worrying about them. Only put your effort into those things that you can control. And that's kind of a bone you have to pick with the likes of, of Ryan Holiday. I, I do. I have, a, I have my own exception to that. Mm-hmm. Because I do think, so That another way to look at that, if you're, is, if you're a writer or if you're any kind of a creative person, is can you control what the muse gives you? Can you control the ideas that come to you? Like if you're, if you're sort of sterile and dead and nothing's coming, is there anything that you can do to make, to make that happen? And the Stoics, I think, would say, no, you can't really. But Alexander the Great had a different point of view, I think. And one of the sort of the, uh, the movie that Oliver Stone did about Alexander, the quote that he used was, fortune favors the bold, right? Mm-hmm. And that's sort of been applied to, to Alexander and his career. And Alexander, this is a long story, but bear with me here. The opening move or the the, the decisive move in any pitched battle that he was in when a huge enemy would be lined up against him and his forces would be on the other side, the signature move was when he would charge on horseback on his great war horse Bucephalus at the head of his 1,600-strong companion cavalry straight at the enemy. And he would wear, Alexander would wear, distinctive armor, and a double-plumed helmet, plus his horse was recognizable to everybody on the field so that everybody knew this was the king going for it, leading everybody, leading from the front. And Alexander felt, first of all, he did it because he thought it would inspire his men, that they would see their king charging straight at the foe, and they would be inspired to follow him. But he also believed that heaven itself would be could not what look on unmoved by that, that they would have to intercede. And remember, this is the days of Zeus and Apollo and that and those gods mm-hmm. that they would intercede with him. And if you think about his career, certainly his military career, it worked. He, you know, he pulled it off every time. So there's even though he got wounded many, many, many times, but so the point of that is. Putting your ass where your heart wants to be is a, another way of saying, be bold. Like when you started your podcast, that took guts, right? Anybody that, that leaps off a cliff and does something like that, it takes guts, it takes courage. But the good news, we said that, uh, that uh, uh, other people will respond and serendipity will respond when we act as the hero. Mm-hmm. But I believe that heaven will respond as well. And in this case, or in the case of, let's say, a writer or any kind of artist, the way heaven responds is it will give you ideas. The muse will talk to you mm-hmm. as long as you are committed and you are bold. So that's that's my belief, and knock wood, it's worked.
1: Yes, and there's no
0: fooling the muse. Absolutely not. The <laughs> muse is like Santa Claus. He knows <laughs> when you're naughty and when you're nice.
1: Yes. Well, let's jump to another part where you write uh, – something that might surprise people. You write, uh, for writers and artists, the ability to self-reinforce is more important than talent.
0: What what is this reinforcement concept? Um, Okay, it's another great question. What is reinforcement? Reinforcement is uh, if we have a coach or a mentor or a sergeant, or somebody that's over us in a position of authority, and we're doing our thing, whatever it is, and they call us aside and they praise us, right? They say, Douglas, that was a great you know, uh, round of artillery you fired there into the end, whatever, right? That's reinforcement. A coach or a mentor or something does that. But if you're an artist or an entrepreneur and you're on your own, you don't have a mentor. Yeah. You don't have a coach. You don't have, a, or maybe you hire somebody, but basically you don't. Basically you're on your own. And so that's where self-reinforcement comes in. And to me, this is the thing, they don't teach you this in school. They don't even, nobody even talks about this. But the question, if you're going to put your ass where your heart wants to be over the long haul, over years, over decades, you have to be able to self-reinforce. You have to be able to keep yourself on the path and keep yourself motivated, keep yourself fired up, even when things are going bad. And so it's, in, in application, it can sometimes seem silly because what it's self talk, right? It's sitting down and talking to yourself and saying, you know, today you did good, keep it up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that to me is more important than talent. I mean, there are a million people with talent and how many of them completely become casualties of the of the creative life. And the reason is I believe they can't self-reinforce. They can't keep themselves going. And eventually they just flame out. They can't, they can't stay in it for the long haul. Yeah. So self-reinforcement is hugely important.
1: Is a symptom of that problems. Maybe somebody was doing it for someone else rather than for themselves.
0: Yeah, I think so. Or for, for some sort of a superficial motive, ah. uh, you know, for money, For women, for attention, fame, yeah, you know, Mm -hmm. for something like that. Um, In that case, I think you will flame out, you know, because uh, that just goes against the laws of the universe. If if we're going to be a dancer. We have to do it for love of the dance. Mm -hmm. You know, usually people think of this in terms of sport, right? That people do it for love of the game. You know, why is Tom Brady still playing? You know, he's got all the money in the world he wants. Does he really need another, you know, Super Bowl ring or something like that? He's doing it just because he loves the game, Mm -hmm. you know? And Tiger Woods keeps coming back and coming back after (laughs) ungodly, you know, disasters that happened to him. It's love of the game. And I think that's a real, we won't flame out if we're doing it For love of the game.
1: Yes, yes. So this is the Marketing Book Podcast, in case any of you listeners have forgotten that. So I do have to ask a question about marketing. You quote uh, uh, Ryan Holiday uh, from his book, Perennial Seller. And I'll include a link to that interview on this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. He said, uh, the last thing you can ever skimp on is marketing. Your product needs a champion. That must be you. Marketing is your job. It can't be passed on To someone else. And then earlier in that chapter, you write this, and I want to ask you to elaborate on it. You write, my own weakness forever has been promoting myself and my books. I've been great at putting my ass into the writing part, but I've dropped the ball big time in marketing and self-promotion.
0: Yes. (laughs) Now this, again, under the heading of put your ass where your heart wants to be, this is putting your ass where your heart wants to be across the whole range of what it takes. You know, it's for me, it was never that hard to actually write the books, but, but that's not enough. It's not enough anymore these days. And so you have to keep going into the part of marketing. uh, Even though I would imagine that most of your listeners, Douglas are born marketers or they love it, you know, Mm -hmm. but for most artists, you know, painters are notorious because they underprice their paintings, right? Oh, I'll give it to you. Here, you want it? You know? And writers are the same way. Like in Hollywood, producers will always try to get a free option for something that you just spent three years of your life doing. <laughs> right. And and writers will give it to them. And I'll oh. give it to them, you know? And it's really painful. But so it's for us artists or writers, it's uh, marketing is the hard part. So I have to say to myself, if I'm going to be a professional... If I'm in this and putting my ass where my heart wants to be, I got to put my entire ass across the whole spectrum. And even though I don't want to do it, I've got to do it. Because marketing is, I think these days, at least in in the arts, it's half the job. However long you spend writing the book, you got to spend the same amount marketing it. Yeah, build it and they will come as a myth. Yes, it absolutely is. And Ryan Holiday, to his great credit, he is fantastic as a marketer. I mean, he wrote the book and he does it. You know, he walks the walk.
1: Yes, yes. And And he's been a
0: great guy to me. He's helped me. He's taught me. I was actually just in Austin like about 10 days ago, and he was helping me again.
1: Oh, great, great. Well, I can see how you all are uh, very much uh, kindred spirits. So the last thing from the book that I wanted to ask you about is where you write that we look at ourselves and the world differently— once we've relocated the center of our being from the ego to the self and i was wondering if you could explain the concept of <laughs> what the, what you mean by ego and self yeah. and the, the concept of moving from ego to self and and how that relates to uh, putting your ass where your heart wants to be and how those two
0: concepts are very much at war with each other when i say when we say put your ass where your heart wants to be what we're really saying on the deepest sort of spiritual level is put your little self your ego the ego part of yourself that's competitive that's uh, acquisitive that's aggressive that's fearful take that little self and move it to the to the bigger part of yourself the the jungian capital s self or your soul or the other phrase is where your heart wants to be and when you make that move your life really changes and uh, let me see if I can do this. I might have to do this in a kind of a longer way of, of thinking it. But um, I was listening to uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote um, Eat, Pray, Love, and Big Magic, and other big bestsellers. And mm-hmm. like me, she's a big believer in the muse and in inspiration, and that the ideas that come to us. And this is true for entrepreneurs completely. An idea for you know the iPhone or whatever. Um, that it comes from some other source. It doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from the ego. It comes from the muse. It comes from another higher dimension. And so what I mean by your life changing is once you start to believe that, you no longer can look at the world as a meaningless void, right? Where everything is chance and random and nothing means anything. You have to say to yourself, where are these ideas coming from? What intelligence is there out there? Because the ideas are almost always good. Not always, but almost always good or for the good, the greater good of, of humanity. And uh, so once you believe in that and you accept that, your ego goes away because you become now a servant of that higher dimension, whatever that is. And you're trying to tune in to that cosmic radio station. And, and get those ideas that are coming in and bring them forth. Um, on this, uh, part of this Elizabeth Gilbert thing was Roseanne Cash, the singer, mm-hmm. says that she has to be always carrying a catcher's mitt to catch these ideas as they come in. And she says, I got to get them first before they go to Lucinda Williams. And, <laughs> uh, so there's, you know, but that's, that's, that's what I mean. It's a life changing thing to commit to something that will take you to your best self. And I don't know if I've explained it very well, but that's that's how I see it.
1: Very interesting. You write, blow off your ego, move to yourself. And then you also write, it may help to realize that the inner transformation called for by every great religion from Buddhism to Hinduism to Christianity to Zoroastrianism is nothing more than this. So Stephen, if readers took only one thing away from the book what would you hope it would be?
0: I think it's simply that action is everything. Don't think about it. Don't prepare for it. Whatever it is, don't rehearse it. Don't research it. Just do it. And when you do that, you become the hero of your own journey, and heaven lines up with you, and good things start happening. Just like like you said, Douglas, once you made that decision on your D-Day moment, Mm-hmm. There were problems, but they were never problems that you couldn't solve.
1: Right, right. It was like I was freed. I, You know, the other thing is I can just remember how my mental health improved. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, I just felt so much better. It was such a, a freedom. So let me ask you, um, is there is there one thing a listener could do today just to put in action one of the ideas we've talked about?
0: Um, again, it's action. I mean, if uh, – If you have a marketing campaign that you're afraid to do, Mm -hmm. do it. Start (laughs) it. Do do the first thing, whatever it is. If you have an entrepreneurial idea, take the first step toward it. Action is the key.
1: Yes. So I'm wondering the title, Put Your Ass Where Your Heart Wants To Be. You must have spent years now hearing from folks, asking you questions. They all want to pick your brain. (laughs) And... Was this almost an a exasperated response? Is this something you've, wa- you've, you've always been saying to people? I mean, it seems like when people are talking to you, you can pretty quickly pick out what the issue is if it's uh, something yeah, that's Yeah, it's resistant. always
0: the same issue. It's always, <laughs> right. it's always not acting. That's the issue.
1: Yes, yes. That's yeah. what I was wondering about. So, well,
0: looking back, what books have most inspired your working career? I would say uh, Everything by Henry Miller. Mm. Um, And that's because I'm a writer, right? And, And if you read Tropic of Cancer or any of those books by Henry Miller, a lot of people these days don't even know who Henry Miller is. But from the 30s and so on and so forth, he was from Brooklyn originally, he went to Paris, wrote Tropic of Capricorn, Tropic of Cancer, Sexus, Nexus, Plexus, a whole bunch of books that were banned originally because of their sexual content. But if you actually read them, he's really more of a comic writer than anything. But the main thing he really writes about is his own evolution as a writer. And he just kind of go, talks, it, it, like book after book is about that. And the underlying Message through all the whole thing is just what I've been saying to you: is act, do it, you know. (laughs) And he really, you you read a page of Henry Miller if you're a writer, and you just got to go to the typewriter and start doing it, you know, because he. uh, So he was. He's always been a great inspiration to me.
1: Right, and I would think he's sort of uh, maybe you've you've heard him or he's been you felt like he he was maybe sitting there with you.
0: Yeah, because he writes right to he writes in the first person and he addresses you directly. And uh, so I, I don't know if he would be a marketing book person, but uh, he's, he's certainly a great, 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 great.
1: Great. Well, are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading or that you've
0: heard are coming out that you're interested in seeing? Um, actually, I just got a recommendation uh, this morning, and I don't know if this is going to do anything for anybody. A book called William Marshall that's about uh, knighthood. Like in the, in the medieval days mm-hmm. by a guy named George Duby, D-U-B-Y. And uh, so I'm looking forward to reading that one because I love these. Uh, it's, it's nonfiction. It's a biography. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, so I'm, that was recommended to me. I'm going to get that right away. William Marshall by Georges D-Duby, Duby, D-U-B-Y.
1: Okay, well, we'll ins- make sure to include a link to that, uh, uh, this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And I got the impression from the end of your book, are you working on an autobiography?
0: Uh, I am. It's just about done. It'll come out around Christmas time. Oh, okay. And it's, it's not like a full autobiography from I was born and wherever, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's really just sort of about my writer's, my writer's journey, you know? Yeah. Because I did when I worked a lot of other jobs, that sort of thing. Hmm.
1: Interesting. Well, I know this guy who interviews authors on his podcast, uh-huh. <laughs> and now he's, he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but his guests are phenomenal, and I could probably put in a good word uh, for you. So at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to everything linkable, including your website. And on your website, you have a War of Art mini course that's free. Can you tell listeners about that?
0: You know, the War of Art is probably my most popular book in terms of uh, books about creativity. Mm -hmm. Came out in two thousand two, and just as a means of getting people to sign up for our newsletter, for our I do like a Wednesday post about writing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had this little uh, mini course, five 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 minute things that sort of boil what you and I have been talking about. Yeah, boil it down into kind of short. Uh, kick-in-the-ass type of uh, of lessons. Uh-huh. So when you sign up for that, you get that free. It's audio. Yes, yes. So we're going to make sure to include a link to that because I think uh, the listeners would really
1: uh, enjoy it, get them further into the uh, the world of, of Stephen Pressfield. And to you, dear listener, I want to ask you a big favor. Please reach out in some way reach to... Uh, Stephen, and and congratulate him on this book, congratulate him on The War of Art 20 years ago, <laughs> and thank him for being a guest on the Marketing Book Podcast. Send him, uh, send him a message uh, any way that you can. Guests on the show have told me how much they really enjoy hearing from Marketing Book Podcast listeners, and not just because Marketing Book Podcast listeners are so ridiculously good looking. And if you are listening on your smartphone and you have subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. The book is Put Your Ass Where Your Heart Wants To Be. The author is Stephen Pressfield. Stephen, thank you very much for joining us on the 400th episode of the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Well, thanks for having me, Douglas. It's an honor to appear with another graduate of the Ed Hannibal School of
1: Writing. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. Special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Marketing Architects, creators of the all-inclusive TV advertising concept that's so revolutionary, they wrote a book about it. For a free copy of the book, All-Inclusive TV, How Booming Brands Are Reimagining TV Advertising, visit this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com or visit marketingarchitects.com slash book. And tell them you heard about it on the Marketing Book Podcast. And if you're one of the legions of listeners who have left an iTunes review, please let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast stuff. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world, and I'll drop it in the mail. And remember the words of the late, great Jim Rohn, who said, Formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune.